Hi, I'm Mike White, CEO of Lively Worldwide. Welcome to Fresh Takes Video Podcast, where we take a fresh look at the ever-changing landscape of marketing. We want to find out how creativity and technology are innovating the world of brands and businesses to deliver genuine audience connections. Everyone is talking about developments in technology and the constantly changing landscape of marketeers. But are we spending enough time studying the needs of the general public after all, who are we trying to connect with? We are bombarded by as many as 10,000 ads per day. 85% of them sit below the memory threshold. We are all being told to get our brands into the metaverse, but according to DatRadar, there are only 8,000 daily active users in Decentraland, compared to over 2.5 million in Fortnite. So is advertising really dead as we're being told, or has it just evolved into many different formulas leveraging different channels, platforms, and formats. How do we navigate these constantly evolving advances in technology while wanting to stay creative and be at the center of culture? Well, that's why we're here. Lively is a creative innovation agency taking an agnostic view across all this noise and finding the true pioneers of creativity, innovating in the world of marketing and entertainment. So we can discuss what we have learned and the best way to navigate the future. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome my guest, Jason Carmel. Jason is Global Creative Data Lead at Wonderman Thompson. Jason is no stranger to Fresh Takes as he's joined us uh, for a great event at CanLine, which made me want to jump into this subject of data in far more detail. Hey, Jason, how's it going? It's great, Mike. How are you? It's good to see you again. Yeah, it is good. It's, uh, unfortunately, we're not on a sunny beach in, uh, well, not that I saw you on the beach, but I was going to say, we're dressed, we're dressed a lot differently than the last time we saw each other, for sure. But it's still well, a pleasure. <laughs> well, look, it was, it, was, uh, it was really good and real pleasure to have you uh, in our panel at CanLine. And I think that's why I was really keen to kind of get you back and do a one-to-one with you. Um, your whole view on... Actually, well, that whole panel we did summed it up really well, didn't it? Because we, we had a creative, we had a client, and we had yourself as a, a data expert and just talking through that process of how it's even more important now to kind of collaborate together and get all those different kind of original verticals working together. Um, but I think what's really kind of interesting and what I'd love to kind of jump straight into with you is, you know, you talked about this kind of um, looking at the the unfathomable, looking at the limitless things that, that are real challenges and and how data kind of actually made those areas more measurable. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you really mean and what kind of examples you've got? Well, I I, uh, I think for me, the, the promise of data is to measure things that are important to us as humans. Uh, and I don't think the things that are important to us as humans are things like likes or clicks or visits or time spent on site or things like that. I think they're how people feel and how they think about things and how they react and, and, and all of that. And I think for me, that's what the promise of data is. It's, it's, can we connect with our customers at a level where we can see, uh, and interact with them and understand what they're thinking and how best to respond to that, to get them what they want, um, and to keep that relationship going. Um, I, I think, 
I mean, just even human interaction is unfathomable and limitless. When you and I are interacting as friends, how do we connect with each other? How do we view each other? How are we talking to each other um, in a way that's meaningful for both of us that keeps us both interested? Um, brands have the same problem at a uh, an exponentially larger scale. And so we use technology and data to try and shorten that. Uh, but I never want us to lose the, um, the true point that what we want to do is connect with these um, these things that I think historically we believed were unmeasurable, and can we can we shorten that gap and get to something that actually is measurable? Well, it's so funny that, that I'm uh, I'm a marketeer at the background. You know, I've been marketing for God almost over thirty years now, which is quite scary. But um, but what's really interesting for me is that's actually why I chose events as my kind of core strength uh, in the beginning. Was there's no better measurement of a crowd's reaction when you're delivering a brand experience. Um, but what's really great, isn't it, is the fact that we can now kind of, everything's an experience. You know, you and I are having an experience here, isn't it? And and I think now things have happened over the last few years. We're not hiding behind um, kind of these smoke and mirrors of how our data's being used, isn't it? It's, it's finally coming out into the open and, and people like ourselves are kind of really championing that. Do you have you got any? Uh, I've, I've I've got one up my sleeve, but have you got any um, examples of any of the work kind of Wonderman Thompson have done? Well, one thing that I've I'm uh, exceptionally proud of that that I uh, for me uh, tries to connect with with uh, with customers uh, beyond that superficial marketing level is something that we did for uh, Sean Williams, the paint company. Um, and our and the brand's uh, goal was to connect with architects um, who use their their paints for the outside of buildings. Uh, and one of the um, the things that we wanted to do was to help architects find the perfect color using data and technology, um, so that they could just using the words that that they speak um, talk to our machine and have our machine spit back a color that re represents what they were saying. Uh, we called it um, speaking in color, and uh, it was very successful. It won a uh, Grand Prix for B2B at, at Cannes this year. And what I was uh, uh, what I was super proud of was that there are millions of colors that are visible to the human eye. When you talk about data that is unfathomable and limitless, my color, I think, belongs there. And then how you and I process color is very different. Um, color is personal and humans are weird. And so if I say a word, I say a word like, give me the color of the sunset. Um, you may think pink, I may think lavender, and three other people may think orange, yellow, or blue. Um, and if we were to return uh, uh, lavender for you, when you were thinking that it would be wrong. So how do we use data to avoid being patently wrong to a an, an architect and give them this really personal view of color? And for us, it was about turning uh, color into data um, and the way we did that at, at a high level was basically rendered color like a map, where instead of it being north, south, east, or west, it was hue, saturation, uh, lightness, and darkness, and shades, and all of that. And anytime somebody said uh, a word, we would translate that to how many steps in which direction on the map do we move the color. Um, and through um, iterating with the architects as they were describing their color, we were able to get them colors that for them were the perfect iteration of sunset 
Oh, wow. I loved what I loved about this was uh, um, while we were doing this, we were collecting data on how architects use language to describe color. So for Sherwin Williams, it was a um, it was a way to connect with them in uh, in a in a, in a in a way that we're only just beginning to explore um, right now. Um, uh, to, to be the company that owns the lexicon of how people talk about color is a very powerful thing. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Sorry, it might even be going down a rabbit hole straight away here. It was it was that using AI or how how did you pro pro that was an AI system, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we we used a number of different um, uh, bits of machine learning to help uh, unpack what people were saying when they used words, um, and then. Uh, reflect that into kind of a color tapestry and then what we did was we allowed the architects to correct us um, to make sure that we weren't giving them a color that they didn't quite want so they could then come back with with iteration statements like make it darker or make it uh, brighter or make it more pastel um, but we didn't just limit them to color words the idea was to use natural language and so for us we had to be able to react if a if an architect said make this more fun, we had to understand what does more fun mean in terms of the data that we were going to use to get a different color back. Um, and for us, it was a fascinating project, uh, and it was uh, a great marriage of two data sets, language and color, that um, intuitively feel unfathomable. But when you connect them together and you put them in a UI that's useful uh, for somebody, it becomes uh, just super playful and fun. I I think that's brilliant, and I think also you, you've hit on a, you've hit a quite an interesting um, touch point there with the fact that yes, you interacted with machine learning, but it was very important to add the human part of that. So absolutely, you know, because the trouble is, yes, and and this is actually what this whole show is about, isn't it? Is you know everybody loves talking about the buzzwords of oh AI and stuff like that, but what we're all about is if you're going to really drive a connection, you've still got to keep the human side of it. And machines will, con I saw a great talk actually at Mobile World Congress last year um, where it was one of the most cleanest kind of presentations on is AI kind of going to ruin us in the future. And he said, as far as he was concerned, all machines were going to need some sort of human that yeah, a balance with a human to make them human. Um, otherwise, to your point, it would just become a color, but they, those colors can be changed and orientated. There's also a great, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard, but Pharrell Williams has always said he doesn't read music. He's, he sees all his sound in color, um, which I always thought was an interesting fact. So that's um, the, the the example I was going to give was actually from our last podcast with Perno Ricard, because what I loved about them was they did a campaign uh, around marketing for good. And um, and what was really interesting about that was they, they kind of ran this campaign and they were going to run it quite traditionally. But when they saw the kind of the, the reaction and the engagement and the connection they got with their audience, they and they started getting ideas, actually, they used the data that they got halfway through the campaign to shift the majority of their traditional advertising spend into customer reward and and they were they basically it kind of elevated the campaign yeah tenfold 
because they basically was getting all this information back from the people that they were they were marketing to with all of these ideas they realized they and and i think that's the other great thing about kind of ensuring and that's what we got out of can wasn't it ensuring that there is this constant balance between data and creativity data and creativity um which is brilliant so how much well, i think we're, we're starting to talk about it how how does that work with regards to the creative process you know everybody likes to talk about formulas and processes but how does it work with you guys uh, that's a great question uh so I'm a data person who sits on a creative team, uh, and I've, I'm lucky to, to be there. It's fascinating for me. And one thing that I've learned is that the creative process in heavy air quotes is a bit of a euphemism. I think it, it works, uh, uh, differently based on the teams that we're working with and the clients. But, but the thing that I, that is true that I've experienced with every one of the amazing creatives that I've, I've been lucky enough to work with is that, uh, creative people are inherently curious and easily bored. Um, and uh, what I love about adding data to the creative process is that if it's used as an exploratory tool, um, it addresses both of those needs. So it um, gives uh, a curious creative person a different place to look, a different channel or a different audience. Um, and it tells the story in a way that um, will prevent them from uh, just drifting off into the, the distance. It gives them an opportunity maybe to do something that has never been done before, which is great. Um, I mean, I think of uh, one project, and this project hasn't it hasn't gone out yet, so I'll talk about it at a, at a high level, but it's from our, our office in Germany, and it's about to be launched for a beauty and health product. Uh, uh, and what it did was it turned the human face into a data set. Um, and then that data set was used as feedback uh, in a very intriguing and unique way for consumers. Um, and I think that a creative process that didn't uh, talk about uh, data, that didn't discuss the potential for data, I would never have landed on an idea that that was that interesting. I'm really uh, excited about this project to go out because it is such a unique uh, um, and interesting data set. What, how does your face map to uh numbers and then what can you do with those numbers uh to reflect that back to a consumer and keep them fascinated with your brand that's fantastic we uh we played around with some of that um uh we um we worked with mazda and created a, a kind of a new automotive retail experience and we built a an app um that was that could allow it was like a interactive digital brochure but what we did was we then created a, um, like an interactive roadshow and we put uh, facial recognition cameras around mm -hmm. the stand. And it was all about, because it, it's all well and good to measure footfall um, like you do in retail stores. But we actually wanted to start measuring kind of the emotional reaction of people. Um, I think that's really kind of key. And yeah. um, I think this is the thing, isn't it? Is it's like, I think what's really good about the, the what I love talking to you about is data's been around for years and we've always used data, but the trouble is it's it's always been presented in such a wrong way. Uh, you know, I remember I remember an old creative director getting into a right debate with me when I started talking about data, and he was like, "Well, you know, that's not going to you know it's not going to change my creative process," and I was like, "But you do research, you do." 
right, start somewhere. You need that key insight. And he was like, yeah. I was like, well, that's that's data. It's just, I, I think, you know, up until recently, it was just such, it, well, again, we talked about it, categorized with a, either presented badly from, from the wrong type of people. Whereas like you just said, you are part of the creative team, which just shows how absolutely integrated it is, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, there, there are always people who I think might dig their heel, heels in a little bit against the things that they are, are familiar with. But I, I put a lot of the onus on making data accessible and the data people, that's where it belongs. Um, and I think for a long time, we weren't aware of that. We just assumed that you would be as fascinated by our spreadsheet as we are and could see what, what we could see inherently. And there was a, I, I mean, honestly, it, it, there was a gap of, I'm guessing, five years, seven years, where we, where no one knew that we were just, you know, we would tell, it's like we would tell uh, the same joke over and over again and people still wouldn't get it. You ever been at a party where somebody wants to tell you about what they dreamed last night? It's like the worst conversation ever. Um, and I feel like that's uh, exactly what how data people um, were talking about data. It's like, let me tell you about this uh, in my mind, and it's on this spreadsheet, and it's fascinating. I think there was a learning curve in the industry um, that took a, a, a good five, seven years to the point where Sorry. now um, we have a lot of people who are um, uh, who are much better skilled, who realize that it's a skill, um, to it, that you need to inspire people with the data and that, absolutely. uh, the job, sorry. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm agreeing. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, and, uh, and for me that it's the job, it's really the job as a data person to render that information into a story that's going to compel people to take action. Um, and we do yeah. that both for our teams and for our clients and for our clients, consumers, anywhere you show the data, if they don't act on it, you might as well just save the cap there. Oh, I, so I, the, look, I, I, um, when we set our business up, my my business partner and I are two. We're like yin and yang. You know, he's a he's a technology expert. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm you know a marketing expert, and it, it took us a while to kind of figure out a way because yeah, you know, when he starts talking about tech, he just goes down these rabbit holes, and and I just glaze over, and and I'm like you know. I, well, I don't get it, but I'm sure it's really good. But can you just tell me what it does? And mm-hmm. and now, you know, it, he'll spend five minutes with me and he just presents it in a totally different way. And that's it, isn't it? You just suddenly get excited. And I think you, you know, like you said, creators get easily bored. And so if we don't make data fun and inspirational, you know, creativity is all built on finding the spark, isn't it? And so... Mm-hmm. It, those those data points need to be sparks and which is why it's important to say human data now because if you can relate it to an actual human being which i'm totally stealing your line um that's that's the key isn't it it's like i can now see it it's not binary <laughs> yeah exactly and and i don't think the creative uh teams are um incapable of understanding data. I, I, I don't want to give the impression that we have to infantilize data so that they will finally get it. Those poor, sweet little deers, right? They, I mean, they'll, they, they're, they're very comfortable with, with data. It, uh, they're, and they're interested in it when we meet them half, when we as a data people meet them halfway. Yeah. Um, and that means making the data readable. It means making the data relevant. And it means ideally telling a story 
coming to the table with a story about the data that makes everyone scratch their heads a little bit. To me, that's that's humanizing data. That's taking data from um, rows and columns and turning it into something that everybody is asking questions about. And that's it's such an exciting process when it works like that, isn't it? We, you know, with with my guys, it, it, you kind of, if you set, like just said, you set that story up, it's like, okay, start with what you found. Tell us this story. And let's say they're going to talk for 15, 20 minutes or maybe longer. What mm-hmm. I've seen, if it's done correctly, is you you know when that spark comes. You can see the rest of the people in the room, their eyes are starting to light up. Yep. They want to interject, and then it's like a chain reaction, isn't it? Just going around the room, and yep. and everybody gets excited. That's what's really nice and, about it. Yeah, and I think that every data person has their own tool set to do that. Uh, some are better than others, just like in everything else. But I, I think how you do it, there's a hundred different ways in. My favorite uh, story to tell is uh, the lead data scientist on my team uh, she's a phenomenal data scientist. She's one of the best I've ever worked with. Um, and her mechanism to explain data um, is to watercolor PowerPoint slides. So she will literally get out a paintbrush and she will watercolor charts and diagrams and flow charts uh, and then present those uh, as opposed to just exporting a graph from uh, from. Uh, Excel now, and you, you wonder to yourself, why did she go through that extra step? Uh, uh, and it's and but then you look at the faces of the people who watch her presentations, and their jaws are on the floor, and they cannot tear their eyes away from the screen. And I think it's such a uh, it takes extra work, sure, but for her, that work is uh, pales in comparison to the ROI she gets of attention from people looking at her graphs. It's just a different way to tell a story. And I love people who are kind of like her who are kind of um, renaissance folks who can um, who can use a little bit of creativity um, to tell that, that data story. For me, it's just, it's a skill set that can't be taught. No, I know. That sounds amazing. I'd love to, we, we should film that and get that out. That's <laughs> I, Every chip I get, I put her in front of people because, I mean, you just can't, that's, it's, that's a skill that you can't, um, no. it, it's just, it's so unique, uh, I, I think, um, that uh it's it's a great differentiator yeah and i love how you've pulled this whole color thing out because that's the thing isn't it is so many people kind of digest data in a different way don't i I like i i'm just totally visual you know i'm dyslexic so give me a spreadsheet or a 10 page document and you've lost me at the opening page (laughs) you know turn it all into imagery and an inspiration and you can't shut me up um, and right. I think that's it, isn't it? Is you kind of you need to understand the different types of people in the room. Um, I love the word. I love the title, data scientist. By the way, so maybe that that, that that's just. Could you elaborate a little bit about the, your team structure and the different roles and responsibilities? That would be great. To, uh, sure. The uh, I'm a my team has uh data scientists so what they do is they take large sets of data they find large sets of data um they clean it and they render it in a way that can be used for different um apps um they are also uh i think um secret data journalists um where they will also like to to sort of write both stories around it um and so uh and so they're great they 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 serve a very specific purpose that 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 way um, we also have 
uh, I guess I would call them, they're creative directors, but I'd call them creative technologists. Um, so they can write a, a, a commercial spot if you want them to, but we never want them to. What we want them to do is to find weird places to put things and to use platforms in a way that the platforms never meant them to be used. Um, can we hack a system? Can we put, um, what can we do to a billboard that makes it not look like a billboard anymore? Um, things like that. Um, that's how I define the creative technology. And then we have a proper uh, coder as well who will take all of these things and build the framework around it, make sure it works on the um, on the browsers and the phones, um, and ties all of these APIs together that um, becomes you know a solid product. Um, and so you look at the thing that we built for um, for Sherwin Williams. We had the um, the uh, data scientists pulled together all of this fantastic color data and language data. We had our creative technologists design the UI so that we could speak into it and it would uh, return a color palette that you could pick from. And then we had the coder kind of pull all of this together um, into a, a whole uh, into a hole that would be used by an end user. That's brilliant. Uh, anybody would think we've uh, scripted it. We're, I should just to be clear on, on this bit that I'm about to go to, we haven't scripted at all, but you've just segued beautifully into kind of uh, the, the intersection between creative and technology. Um, and how interesting, because yeah, we've, we've played around with that concept, the diff because it is that the role of a creative director has totally turned on its head as far as I'm concerned, hasn't it? I agree. Uh, I, I think uh, creative directors used to think exclusively about the conceptual idea. Um, and I think now they are pulled in so many different directions to apply that conceptual idea in a way that's going to be surprising. Uh, your point in the introduction of people being bombarded by ads, uh, it means that you have to, you have to be clever about where you put your message so that people, uh, get it in a way that doesn't feel interruptive that isn't surrounded by a whole bunch of other noise and that connects in a way that's relevant. Um, and I think it, it um, creative directors, creative teams um, over the past, I would say a decade, especially have really called on to that. And so the really good ones that you see now are the ones who aren't just talking about what's the emotional line or, uh, but they're also talking about, well, where's this right to play? Where would, where would somebody be surprised to see this? Um, how can we make it bigger? How can we make it, um, more interactive. How can we make it more engaging? Um, yeah, and, and and you just said uh, it's about and that that's uh, we've actually just updated our company proposition, and you know we're a creative innovation agency, but our mission is to make marketing more connected. For exactly that reason, is you know I I went to this great event a couple of weeks ago in L in Hollywood uh, called the Infinity Festival, and it was um, it was where um, what was it where Hollywood met Silicon Valley? And it was such a great um, cup three days because you had creatives and technologists just, you know, talking about the different subject matters. And, you know, yeah, sometimes the, the big idea actually starts with a piece of technology. Other times it's supported by a piece of technology. So there's this ever changing, which makes, in theory, and again, this was touched upon in our session in Cannes, isn't it? It makes the, the I don't want to say the creative process harder, but 
but we're suddenly talking about so many different formats, aren't we? It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not about how do we launch a TV campaign and then cut it into you know cookie cutter content pre roll, right? It, it, it's, yeah. it's not, and so you know you you don't know where you're going to begin. Well, sorry, you begin with the audience, which is what you know the the the, the key data point here, isn't it? But but what we're tending to do is it's like the process is okay, you know, what's the audience's mindset? Who are they? And then where do they live? You know, Logitech touched on this, didn't it? It's where do they live? You know, yeah. do they live in the metaverse? Do they live? And actually, that's why in my opening statement, you know, I, I, I'm trying to wean myself on LinkedIn because anybody quotes the metaverse and I can't help but go off on one because it's like, look, right now we're in the gaming world. And right. that's where people are living. You know, my son is in Fortnite. I need him to come home every now and then. You know, my daughter's in Roblox. You know, they they are in the decentral lands of this world right now. And right. So it, it's, it's yeah, it's trying to... So, yeah, so whenever we started looking at creative directors, we've never actually had, like, a full-time creative director in our business ever because we have multiple different creative directors we call upon depending on what we think the brief is because yeah you know like i don't think i've ever had well quite frankly i prefer it when we don't get a brief <laughs> it's uh it, it's a lot more fun isn't it so yeah so talk us through that then the the because in theory to to well i suppose the non-believer it becomes a very complicated thing doesn't it but but you know there's a journey you go through, isn't there? Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're, you, the base premise that you stated of uh, drowning in channels is completely accurate. By the time we're done with this conversation, there'll be three new social networks we have to figure out. And like, I don't know, another um, uh, like seven new metaverse partners and someone else is doing um, blockchain stuff. And we have to read about that or we look like idiots, um, especially if we live in, in this space. Um, and the uh, I don't, there's no secret sauce for that necessarily. I don't have a magic trick for it. The, um, that my team does, uh, and is charged to do is to find things that are released and interesting and to kind of mess around with them. Uh, and it's a luxury we have, uh, and it's viewed as a luxury, but I don't think it is. I, I think look, if we don't, if we don't look at the technology to see how we would use it for people, how will we ever um, act as good stewards of, of the brands that we represent? We just can't. Um, no one is on MySpace anymore, um, and we we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of where people are going, and we also need to be aware of, of where not to go um, yet. Yeah, um, we need to give good. Uh, we need to be um, good. Uh, um, I mean, consultant has is a um, is a terribly uh, weighted word, and I kind of hate. But we do need to have a consultative role for our clients. On well, do I need to be in Decentraland right now? I don't know. You sell Deiterate, and uh, and there are eight thousand people in Decentraland, and they're all billionaires. And so I don't know if that's who you're going after. Like, like so we, we like it's it's never a no, but it's a let's think about this. Let's prioritize the other channels that we have. Yeah, and, and and see what and, and see what's interesting. We are um, our team in Brazil just uh, um, released a 
a great campaign for Listerine for uh, mouthwash. Uh, yep. uh, in uh, uh, and in a in a video game where your breath suddenly became toxic, and you could actually use it as a weapon, you would lose health. Uh, so and for me something like that is just infinitely more clever than being the first person in line to have a dynamic nft on this system over here where there are 11 people who are super advanced early knockers but maybe aren't going to buy as much deodorant as you want them to build um, well that's, that's, that's exactly why we've created this show is we're trying to debunk and demystify so many things you know, we as marketeers, I'm terrible at this. You know, I, I play marketing bingo all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I love going, oh, NFTs and stuff like that. But the, the important bit and the message that's really coming across now is it's almost like, well, my personal opinion is it's almost like we've got to stop talking about the technology. And and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like we can we can actually use data and research and and still in the background know that oh okay we're going to use uh you know nft contract system for that we're going yeah. to use augmented reality for that but we don't have to push this is an nft campaign it's at the end yep. of the day we never used to talk about like how you know what what are the cameras you're using for that ad and you know all of that yeah. stuff did we? We never used to, but everybody loves talking about the names. Well, it becomes so fetishized now that yeah. um, we have to kind of protect ourselves from uh, and our clients and, uh, and our clients' brands from just running just for the sake of running towards something. Um, That's great. That's great. So, so I think uh, um, I, I don't think there's I I, I don't think there's any um, anything to be ashamed of to say not now. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of people look at innovation agencies and groups with uh, and innovation groups, or um, uh, and they are surprised when those agent those those people aren't playing in a certain space. And for me, I always look at that as like this uh, as a sign of wisdom. Uh, yeah. It's um, it's how do we how do we decide what's right for our our client? Where where do we if we have a limitless opportunity? Uh, of channels to play with where do we go for the biggest bang for our buck it's not let's go everywhere it rarely is and that's almost if, if i don't know if you agree but my view is that's almost our agency's got a bit of a bad name for themselves isn't it was we turned into sales merchants we wanted to sell the next yeah. big thing and be the first to market and you know and get that kind of headline in the press saying mm-hmm. we and, and well uh, you know, I, I won't quote the client, but we did something pretty damn incredible in 2007, which is very relevant now. Um, and people that see my social network will understand what I'm probably talking about. But what, and it was a fantastic project, truly unique. And my team was so excited by the opportunity and the technology. <clears throat> but, but when we re engaged and said, let's do this again, they were like, well, no, we've done it now. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but you just did it to get the headline. You actually, well, now these words like community are, are much more understood, but it was like, you just, you know, we just created a whole community there for six months and they totally engaged with your brand. It's a bit like, again, the events. We we 
we we veer away from doing stunts in for PR stunts because it, it's like okay, great, you know, there's plenty of great companies out there that do it, but it's a one-off. It's not right. really connecting with people. It's not building a community. It's not adding value. It's just getting headlines. Yeah, I think it, uh, it's the same thing with uh, from my perspective. Technology for the sake of the technology very rarely um, turns into uh, something that the company is going to do long term. No, yeah, 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 that's yeah. I love that. And so, so God, so then it, that's interesting though because what you've just said, which is again very similar to us, is the fact that you use. So, do your data scientists have you? Is your innovation kind of research separate to data, or do they do it all? To, is it all in one unit? Because we we kind of separate it out. We we we're very much well. Our last year's campaign was called Future Focused for exactly that. Seeking out, it's kind of a, mm-hmm. a whole thing in its own right, isn't it? It is. We have a, a whole wing of research that is, and uh, qualitative data and data that's focused on research that is separate from, from my team, and they are I- I- indispensable. Um, in fact, uh, I, I mean, as a side, I've been, you've probably been following this as well, but uh, um, uh, the recent, uh, I, I guess um, layoffs that you've seen across the techn- technological sector, both with Twitter and then the Fang groups and then all of big tech. Um, you, so we've seen all of this kind of explode on our LinkedIn feed. And anecdotally, one of the things that I, I started to notice um, on my feed specifically uh, was that the majority of people who were let go belonged what were researchers, user experience experts, or data ethicists. Um, and and it was now surprising to me. Um, I was because I, I, I looked at the companies that were doing this, and I, and I thought to myself, "There is a company that has lost its way." Um, because for me, there is no better signal that a company has traded long-term thinking for short-term thinking than the wholesale uh, detachment of the people who are there to ask why. Um, and uh, so for me, having a, a group at one in the Thompson that's focused on uh, on research, that's focused on behavioral um, uh, science, that's focused on uh, trends, uh, uh, trends watching as well, uh, is is essential. Very much so. Very much so. Well, look, as usual, I um, I could sit in a pub with you all day, Jason. <laughs> Let's do that soon. Let's do that soon. <laughs> Let's do that soon. Yeah. The, uh, but I'm, I'm getting the nod that I've got to wrap up. Um, so look, if, if you were to, if you were to give you know, one bit of invo- you know, summarize our little chat, what's your, what's your takeaway? If you, you know, none of us have got a crystal ball, but what do you think's going to with, you know, 2023 is going to be a really interesting year, isn't it? We've been, we've just come out of a pandemic. We thought things were going to get back to normal. I don't need to list everything that's happened this year. So 2023 is going to be interesting. What what's finish on a positive note for me. What do you think we're going to see happen out there in the world of marketing and business, do you think? I think, I hope. No, I think. It is a think and a hope that uh that yeah, yes, it is I I I believe that uh as the as 2023 unfolds um, we will start to see uh, people um, push the drama away from certain technologies and and look at them again 
uh, in a way that will be useful specifically for their brands. I look at something like um, like uh, distributed finance from uh, or the and uh, Bitcoin collapse and all of that, and how um, these people who never should have been in charge of that much money, um, some of them allegedly fraudsters, all, all of that are um, are pushing people away from a baseline technology that I, I think will be very useful for people going forward. And so what I'm hopeful is that once all of the, um, everything clears up, all the fog clears, and people go back to this technology away from all of the um, the rushing to be the first person there, and they look at it and do a full like analysis, a proper um, introspection, a bit of an introspection of how would this help my customers? How will this help me? Can I use it? Should I use it? And how? Um, and that they, then they start to do wonderful things with it. I think that's going to start to happen next year. Brilliant. It's almost like, well, showing my age, the old uh, road crossing ad, stop and think before you actually cross. Yeah, just give it, give it, maybe, or or just like every time you went, I specifically went to a party, it would be like, maybe before you say it, just think for a second, should you say that? And then, and then, and then go ahead and say it. Well, actually, you really upset me because I love talking about my dreams and you've just made me realize I'm the most boring person I've ever hit. If that hit too, if that, yours in particular, fascinating. It's everyone else's. You're so kind. You're so kind. <laughs> well, listen, Jason, as usual, it's been a pleasure. That's a wrap of another fantastic episode from Fresh Takes. Uh, I hope you agree. It's brilliant uh, listening to Jason's view on the human side of data and just how, you know, looking for inspiration and technology really plays a key part in the creative process. So thank you very much. Um, I hope you all enjoy this show. I, if you do, please like it, please share it and uh, tell all your friends. If you think you can add to the show and would like to be a speaker, please reach out to us directly. Thank you very much and uh, see you on the next one. Goodbye.